Pamela Ochoa. Yes. I have a question. I have, I, okay. Stop it. I have a question. <laughs> okay. Calm down. Okay. What is your favorite? Mm, let's do a time range 70s to 80s rock band and why? This could be 70s loose, to know, 80s. Yeah. Like, but they have to have most of their music either in the 70s or 80s. And I have to select just one band? Yeah, just one. And why? No, I can't do just one band. Well, then I let's, like talk, too let's many. talk through this. Let's talk through this then. I'm, right. I'm deeply, I have to know. Well, 70s. I like Casey and the Sunshine Band probably because I like their, their beats and stuff like that. Uh,. Casey I and the like Sunshine Band. Who's that? You don't even know who they are. That's all disco, man. Disco. Oh, disco's not rock. Shake, Come shake, on shake. now. Oh, shake your my. Booty. Okay. Hey, well, I got to sit there. I got to. I got to watch oh them in concert. Okay. Awesome. Well, that's not a rock band. That's fine. Yeah, but they changed the world. Yeah, I'm sure. What they about did. the? Do the Bee Gees <laughs> count? The Bee Gees no! are probably profound. They don't count. Gosh. Stand now my up, brothers, my brothers. Ha, 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 ha. Oh my gosh, that was, they're so good. That's a great Very song, good. but I'm just Andy saying it's, it's not rock. Rock band. I feel like I'm, rock I'm Jack. Band. Like I'm Jack Black in the School of Rock. Going, what are you talking what? about? I you guys, get there. You guys have never gotten the let out <laughs> motorhead. There. Let's see. I like. Of course, you know. Queen. Does okay, that count? That, that's acceptable. Fully acceptable. That's what I was singing before we came on. Oh yeah. I love I love Queen. And then mm -hmm. um Journey. Sticks. Does uh, mm. do they count? Yeah, see now you're speaking my language. Oh, I didn't know you had a language. Okay, uh <laughs> let's see. <laughs> I mean I you know, let's see here. It has to be rock. Now my brother's favorite was um was um AC oh yeah ACDC. ACDC counts. His they favorite count. his favorite was actually Kiss when he was little. Kiss but ACDC yeah. was I was a ninth grader when ACDC did Back in Black. So we did uh yeah, Hell's Bells was like uh, a yeah. revelation to me as a young person, but um a, is, Kiss is funny because I'm, I'm I'm I like Kiss. I think they they merged a little bit too much into disco, which is probably why you like them. But they uh, no, my brother liked them. Oh, whatever. But we did a, a professional development with assistant principals the other week, and one of the it was kind of funny because we had to read these car. We had to ask questions in the in a voice of like a character on a thing. So we had like dice. So one dice picked the question. The other dice picked out of a list of like the voice of the person you had. And so many people in the room didn't know who Gene Simmons was, the the singer of Kiss, and they were like, they didn't know Gene do, Simmons." They're like, "Do you even know?" And I'm like, "Um, excuse uh, me, I may be the yes. youngest person in this room, but under no circumstances do I not know who he is." Gene Simmons. Oh, no kidding. Well, now you know. After the fact, uh, well, not not Will Deering. I like mm -hmm. I like Led Zeppelin. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do they count? Does Robert Plant count? Uh, Led Zeppelin count. There, if you don't mention Led Zeppelin in this conversation, you're off the podcast. <laughs> okay, and then after the fact, only when my son discovered them, uh, and he started because he was playing all their guitar riffs, and of course that. Oh wait, hang on, we got to go back. Whoa, whoa, whoa! How can I forget Eddie Van Halen? Yeah, awesome. And ain't talking about love. Oh my gosh, I can't. Yeah. Okay, and then um let's see. That was my <laughs> husband's favorite. Van Halen uh, rocks, man. Yeah, Van Halen. Yeah. Well, I like Van Halen with David. Yeah, not Sammy Hagar. Not Sammy. That's now fair. Sammy Hagar was good by himself, but not I like he just I like he both. just wasn't yeah, but he just wasn't just it wasn't the same. Yeah, no, it wasn't the same. It felt entirely changed. Yeah. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, Let's let's. uh, Oh, after the fact, when my son discovered them, and of course, that would be Metallica. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. I I knew that was coming because I knew your son liked them. I knew Metallica. Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't know I liked them until he started telling me, well, mom, that's Metallica. Now, Here's here's the question, though. Do you are you do you like old Metallica or newer Metallica? When I say newer, I mean like 90s. So fast or slow? I probably like the slower. Yeah. Like See, I was yeah. like the, the black album, ironically enough. Okay. Yeah. Inner, Inner Sandman, Unforgiven, mm. Nothing Else Matters. That that whole that's album probably is a hit. my favorite. Yeah. Okay. That's it's my it's favorite. one of the it's probably the greatest that well that I that's going out of rockets into metal to me, but it is the that's the single most important heavy music album that's ever been made in my opinion now i will tell you that one of my favorite bands that now now we're just talking about bands because you know you have apparently whatever uh but (laughs) when you (laughs) but you know i really like that the new alternative music but i like um cars was big yeah i like cars i like um there's a lot of them that I like, but I didn't know I liked them at the time. Does that make sense? Like I would like yeah. their songs and it was not until my husband and I, that's what we would do in our spare time when not in our spare time, but like we would be at a restaurant, for example, and uh, you know how they play music in the background and we would mm-hmm. like try to beat each other on what the name was. He always won. He was good. But anyway, so somebody I thought that was that so-and-so that's deep purple. I didn't know that, you know, so he he was really big on all that. So that was kind of fun. But um, but I liked Foreigner. Did I say them already? You did not. But Foreigner is good. Oh, Foreigner. my gosh. I liked Foreigner. A lot of people don't bring up Foreigner. And oh, yeah, I like Foreigner. And then um, let's see. Minute Work was some of my what favorites. Are, what are they saying? Minute Work? Oh, been at work. It's a Vegemite sandwich. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Down Under. I don't know any of these songs. Oh, oh. Be, be Good, Johnny. I don't know what any of these songs are. Yeah. Down Under. I like Down Under. It's one of my favorites. Question. Yeah. Are you are, are you a Fleetwood Mac fan? <gasps> yes, I like Fleetwood now, Mac. I don't consider I them rock. Saw. They can be, but they're, they're rock in. But I, I don't really consider them the rock. They're something else. But Fleetwood Mac, well, they're their I mean, own genre. Just, they really are. And, you know, Stevie Nicks, I got to see Stevie Nicks in concert because I used to actually to make money. 
to do fundraisers so that my teams, so we could go. Because I, I actually played volleyball in some international tournaments and stuff. And so we would fundraise to go overseas and do things like that. And so, um, so we would usher concerts and stuff. I got to see a lot of concerts and mm-hmm. Stevie Nicks was one of my favorite concerts. She's where I like, like I like. Window. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I like all that. Uh, let's see. What other, you got me going on this a little bit. Um, it's fine. I love music, but yeah, no, I think cars is probably anytime they came, come on. Uh, Blue Oyster Cult. They're pretty good. Yeah. Don't fear the reaper. Very nice. Yeah, I like no don't for the Reaper because it has a Romeo and Juliet inference in there. I like yeah. the literary illusion in in that. You know, it's so funny thing is I knew about that song as a as a young lad, but there's a movie. Oh my god, I can't. I was I knew. Oh my god, what's the movie? I don't remember the. It's an old '80s movie about like this. There's like ghosts in this city. It's like a haunting place. I don't know. It's not a scary movie. It's like a weird '80s. I don't know, probably like on the heels of Ghostbusters, but at the end it played "Don't Fear the Reaper," and like I became obsessed with that song afterwards. I was like, "This song oh, really? is so great!" Like I just it never triggered for me until that moment. Um, you know, uh-huh. it's a band that I think a lot of people overlook, but I consider one of the greatest rock and roll bands of all time. Uh, you're not going to talk about the Doobie Brothers, Boston. Mm, oh well, Boston for sure. Yeah, Boston's like awesome. Boston, Bo- Boston. that those albums mm-hmm. are some of the most. Uh, well-recorded albums of all time. Like you listen to them yeah. and they sound so modern and perfect. And it was recorded in the seventies, which is why it's outside of your thing. Well, it is, but also like rush. Oh, and, I mean, Neil, Peart, you can't drummer, beat rush. I, can't. I mean, yeah, there's rush, like three they're incredible band. That's incredible. I'm trying to, I'm trying to beat you. I didn't to know you were you, a fan of rush. You didn't know. Uh, yeah. See, I have all these hidden things. Okay, wait, there was one more I had. Uh-huh. They have great There's lyrics. one more, Rush. Uh, there was another one I was going to say that I thought would surprise you, and Elvis, and I can't. I, I lost it. Go ahead. Well, I was going to oh, say, uh, yeah. Gosh, it's right there. I was going to tell you. <laughs> I don't want you to say it, and I'm going to go. Yeah, because then you're thinking, I ah, you aren't going to do that. Okay, who, who is it? ZZ Top. Oh, of course, Easy Top, yeah. Like when I don't listen to them all, like they're not a band I return on really. But when I do, I like Easy Top. Yeah, oh yeah, awesome. well that that's it's good all dancing the, uh, music. Well dressed man, yeah, that sharp one. Sharp dressed man. Yeah, sharp dressed man, and then uh, they're they're way down in the Mississippi River. Yeah, I like that one down in the Mississippi. They they they're I like I like ZZ Top, but that's not who I thought you were going to say. So it's interesting. So here's There's another one. one. I thought about. George Thorogood. Oh, bad to the bone. That's right. <laughs> I he also love has George Thorogood. <laughs> one of my, one of my, yeah, one of my good. favorite uh, songs of his is actually "One Bourbon, One Scotch, One Beer." And Isn't it's, that fun? Uh, I love. Well, that song. it's so long. It's like it the long. But it's, <laughs> he so, just it's sings it good, forever. I mean, and everybody sings it with him. It's a good one. Yeah, you didn't know I knew that. I didn't. I didn't. Oh, um, you said what? 80s or 70s? Well, I said 70s and 80s. That was the Okay, criteria. well, 70s. You haven't listed your favorite yet, but we've listed a lot. <laughs> because they're all my favorite. That's the thing. Archie's. The Archie's. Yeah, Archie's is good. Yeah, Sugar Sugar. 
Now, of course, I was a huge fan, and it's not a band, but Elton John. You just can't beat Elton John. Mm -hmm. But I like some of his songs that nobody really. Blue Jean, baby. Yeah. I like I like all of his songs. Elton John's great. What about uh, Guns N' Roses? Yeah, I like Guns N' Roses, but you don't like There's like a time period. There's a time period you don't like their ballads part, but that's probably well. What that's I do the like. ballads killed the '80s, is what happened. That's why I don't like the ballads. When, oh, what about John when you bon had? Jovi. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, jo- so jo- uh, here's the thing about Bon Jovi is they yeah, were heavy before. Yeah, he is, and he's mm-hmm. dipped into country and stuff. But uh, I love country. That stuff was awesome. I know Living on a Prayer is like his big one, but they have his album Slippery When Wet was one of the greatest '80s albums out. Like it was, yeah, that was a fantastic album. And then he had another one in the nineties, um, where it was like, it's my life. It's my life. It's now or never. Like there was Bon Jovi was great, man. He still yeah. is, but he's, he's older now. He's, you know, he's kind of <laughs> Ozzy. Um, no, I, I do. Uh, I, you know, a little too dark is, for is you at the time. Sabbath. Oh, black Sabbath. Dark. Hey, but you didn't know I knew Ozzy played on Black Sabbath. You're like, you're surprised, aren't you? I do love me some Black Sabbath, though, like War Pigs. War Pigs is one of the most, like, songs that just connects to the real world right now. Just Mm -hmm. what a a great album. I I discovered War Pigs later in my teenage years, but when I did, Mm -hmm. it was like a revelation because that stuff is old. And it's still just as rocking and as and as timely as ever. It's funny to know that like Black Sabbath was like, you know, quote unquote, like the evil band at the time. Because you listen to it now, it's just like it doesn't even compare to what people consider dark music these days. But right. um, <clears throat> I'm not well, a fan of know, Black Sabbath with Dio. I like Dio I, by I himself. I was going to mention Dio a second ago. I, I actually had Dio because Holy Diver, think, Holy Diver. Yeah. Now we're just about, listening music. <laughs> We are, you know, this is like gone out of control, but you, you asked the question. I had the answer, but, uh, yeah, no, that's, I, we love music and, you know, what you and I are doing right now is what my husband and I used to do all the time. We would just sit and just talk about bands and yeah. he would, you know, we would try to see if we could out stump the other just to see mm-hmm. if, yeah, if we could. So, so my, my uncle probably mm-hmm. he entered. So my dad uh, introduced me to Rush and Metallica and kind of like the heavier side of music uh, uh-huh. and a little bit more of the technical side, I guess. My uncle introduced me to all the 80s bands, right? Def Leppard, Guns N' Roses. Oh, Def Leppard. That was, yeah, Def yeah. Leppard. I mean, that's they had an yeah. era where they were the number one band of all time. Um yeah, but I am from the 80s, so, you know, you got to talk about the seagulls. Yeah, flock of seagulls. <laughs> they're, they're one hit. <clears throat> one hit wonders. <laughs> we did. Hang on. I got two stories. So real quick, people are like, what is this podcast? <laughs> <clears throat> so sorry, I had to color my throat. Um, this uh, so the we what we used to do is back in the day before we had like I guess digital stuff, my uncle had serious radio, and what we would do is me, my uncle, and my cousin, we would just sit in the living room and we would just be hanging out and we would just play the 80s station. And he we would go until he missed a band, so a band would come on and he would just tell us who it was. Yeah. He knew all of them, I mean, every uh, single one. And this is the serious radio station, so it wasn't just like 
ACDC and stuff. It was like the one-off 80s bands and the stuff right. the people that no one remembers. He was so good. And so it introduced me to a lot of that early music, which I fell in love with and I really did love. But uh, another another story that I want to tell real quick is when we went to Austin uh, this summer with my assistant principal buddies. We went down there for TASP, um, which was great. But we also, you know, principals, you know, everyone texts like, hey, we're going to this place. We're going to this place. Go out to hang out. We went and saw these... Uh, this band called the Spasmatics, which are these amazing musicians, but they all wear like these, like it's like an eighties getup. Like they're all my age, like oh, okay. 32, 33, but they wear they like, wear the leotard that go the body leotard. And all well, that, so yeah, they're dressing like that, but they also wear like these helmets, and like one of them wears like a neck brace, and they're just like these like <laughs> they pretend to be like these nerds <laughs> who have like injured themselves. Uh-huh. But they were amazing, and they played all of these tunes that we're talking about, and they. They were great, man. They just, they're like some of the, I mean, honestly, they're just great. And they, they tour like all over Texas and stuff. They're super cool. So if you're a Texan, check out the Spasmatics in Austin. Um, they travel, but um, they were great. Okay. Apparently, there I think there's different versions of the Spasmatics. Like, I think it's like a, a company or something, but they were, oh, okay. they were super cool. And they played, you know, the, the flock of seagulls and they did, <laughs> they, they did a bunch of that stuff. And they, I mean, they were really a really great brand. Anyway, we're 17 minutes in. Let's talk about reading and writing workshop. That's been well, Joe, I'm Jacob Chastain, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Crap the Draft podcast. We talk about all kinds of things here and apparently <laughs> talk about music. music. Um, I think we should talk about music and lesson planning at some point, but we'll uh, we'll circle back to that at some point. Today, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be jumping into the topic of how to take constructive criticism or how to be coached is another way to phrase that. That's what we're talking about is just how to be coachable. What does that mean? We talk about being coaches a lot. We talk about training people. We talk about educating people, but how do you make yourself available to be coached? This is what we're talking about today, but know that this podcast is supported by people like you. We have people that come over to patreon.com slash craft and draft. They support this podcast. They get bonus episodes that no one else hears. They get bonus training, bonus access, and so much more, truly. And they are Alicia, Brandy, Leah, Mark, Amy, Sarah, Rebecca, Courtney, Carol, Melissa, Destiny, Lori, Natalie, Susan, Tracy, Andrea, Hannah, Lori, Jen, Matt, Amanda, and Donna. They all support us. They get bonus stuff just like you can. If you can't do that, we understand. Teacher salaries are not the greatest. If you can, we absolutely love you for doing that. We know it is hard-earned money, but if you can't, subscribe to the podcast. You don't miss any other episodes. Hit that review button. Those reviews really do help. And come back next week and share and do all the wonderful things. But let's get to the conversation. All right, Ochoa. You and I have both been coaches. Yeah. Can I share a story? Sure. <sighs> Honestly, I said that, and I have like a, a bunch of stories in my head that I kind of want to share. Um, in my head, we're recording this late for anyone that's like, you know, I, I, I don't know if people care about the behind the scenes stuff of the podcast, but recording this a little later than normal um, on a work night. And, well, uh, I had a volleyball game, so we had to yeah, wait. It's OK. In my head, sometimes when we do this, I'm like, oh, it's going to be a shorter episode. This might be a longer one. Who knows? But <laughs> my. So today I was sitting there. Uh, we, we did some walks today, just kind of, uh, just some planned walks that we did for our English department. All amazing. Um, really loved all of them, but there was one educator in particular that we talked about and how they are great, but they're not really like, they don't have the coach's mentality. Like they're not the type of person to like bring other people under their wing. 
Um, and I thought it was just, a, it made, it triggered kind of this thought in me where I was like, it's interesting that you have those people. You have the people who are these bigger than life personalities, but that's kind of what they are. They're not going to bring people up. They're, they're not interested in coaching other people. They're not interested in really helping other people. It doesn't mean they're rude or mean about it. It's just not their personality. It's not their focus. Uh, but then you have on the other side of the spectrum, you have people that may not be amazing at what they do, but they're incredibly helpful, right? They support, they coach, mm-hmm. they train. And then you have like this really happy medium where they can be all of those things, but they're also really great communicators and coaches and can really master that art. Um, and I didn't appreciate the art of coaching until I was one and failed miserably. Um, a lot of the time, uh, I would say I failed at everything, but I failed a lot of the times. Uh, and I think there was a variety of things working against me, but I didn't help myself really any, 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 uh, in any way, shape or form. I remember when I became a literacy coach, I joined you. You were like, who's this guy? I'm going to sabotage him. I'm just kidding. And that then... is not, you're trying to sabotage <laughs> me. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, anyway, go ahead. And, uh, I was walking in these spaces and I remember, so I was like, you know what? I'll, I was trying to think of what like great leaders I worked with did. And one of the principals I had just recently worked for, when he got the job, he brought us all in and he just interviewed us about the campus, right? He interviewed us about what our needs were, what we thought. And that's how he kind of got his game plan. I was like, that's a really great idea, right? Talk to your people before you try to help. So I did that, and I invited uh, the department head at the time to Starbucks, and we sat there for maybe two hours, drinking coffee, talking about the department, talking about the needs, talking about the struggles, all that stuff. I was like, you know what, I got I got a good pulse on this. So I show up kind of with a game plan, not welcoming at all with the team, right? I show up, there's the first staff meeting, I'm not welcomed there. They're like, nope, you don't sit with us. They didn't say that, but... The body language, the attitude. Is that, you, is that, you know these educators, so you know is who that, I'm Is that when about. we were? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. This is when I show okay. up, right? This is when and, we were working. Okay. Yes. I just want to make sure I had the time frame in my head. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not, like, misunderstanding. All right, gotcha. Right, so and, and p- picture those educators. Oh, oh, yeah. So I show up. And I'm, I'm expecting, like, not to be, like, welcome with open arms, but, you know, like, hey, come sit with us or whatever. Doesn't exist. Nope. Completely closed off table, right? No no chair offering, no, no like, hi, whatever. I'm like, okay. And, like, I think I end up going to sit with you, like, and, like you and I, like, off of this corner, which should have been a sign. <laughs> <laughs> and we sit there, and it's fine. I'm like, all right, that's fine. No, you know, I'm just, like, the new guy or whatever. But then... Any suggestion I make is seen as negative. I have to apologize for things that are fairly innocent. Now, I did miss up some things, but there wasn't like there was some things like just suggesting like, hey, you know, try this or whatever. It it be, it just it was always negative. It was always something else. And I was basically seen as kind of the support role, but no one was really interested in being coached. Uh, didn't mean my language is always correct, but I just felt that struggle. And so the reason I say all of that is, was I a hundred percent great at what I was doing? No. Am I 10 times better now? Yes. Do I still struggle? Yes. But there was no coaching mentality about that particular group. There was no 
we're here to get better with the help of this person that we hired. It was, we already have our information. We were, we have our ways and you can support us if you want to, if you want to jump into the way we do things. But if you don't want to do that, then we're going to shut you out. And that was my first realization that I was like, people don't want to be coached because I had always approached coaching as like, yeah, come into my classroom, come watch me, give me critique, like give me advice. I have always, since I first started, I was like, come into my classroom. One, I like to perform. So I love an audience, but two, (laughs) it was, I genuinely want people to see what I'm doing. I'm like, tell me. And the only way, the best way I got better was inviting coaches in and saying, please, Like, tell me, but that is not the norm. And so to start this conversation off is I wanted to ask you after all of your years of coaching, why do you think people are closed off to this mentality of, of having a coach in your, in your teacher space? What do you think are, I guess the, the top traits of why someone might be resistant to that? I think number one would be trust. They're not used to trusting someone. And their space, um, I think to me, uh, that's hard to get people to trust you. And so um, that's just, to me, that that's number one. Uh, sometimes their philosophy is so different than yours that they don't really see the need to change. Uh, that might be part of it. Um, but, you know, working, you know, I, I, one of the things as far as coach, you know, I grew up with two parents that are coaches. So this whole idea of being coachable um, was something that I grew up with. And so my parents were always coaching me on how to be coachable. And so um, receiving, you know, sometimes it's just really difficult for someone to receive constructive criticism and they see everything like you said as negative and I think the group that we worked with there was a few of them that were like that and it kind of the negative permeates a lot faster than the positive it just does we did I used to do a thing where we were talking about how to grade papers and this idea of like when when I grew up they would write and they they may still I mean we still have teachers that do this I'm sure but it was pretty prominent when I grew up and, and everybody would write on, you know, like I would get things written on my paper, redundant, uh, things like awkward or frag, you know, but it was all this in red, you know, my, my papers when I was in high school would bleed red. And so I used to do this activity with teachers to show them about negative comments. It was a visual. And so we would, I'd have M&Ms in a package. And then I would have lemon drops in a package. They're both good, but uh, lemon's a little bit sour. So we use that as the the bad comments. Well, lemon drops weigh a lot more than, uh, you know, than the uh, M&M. And so we had a scale. So every time I would say something negative, I would just say one thing negative and say like five things positive and that lemon drop would never come up, you know? So it was this idea of visual that negativity is just so much heavier and it's hard to lift. So sometimes I would say they're not confident. Um, You know, like people who don't like themselves usually don't like other people. Mm. So I think if they're not confident in themselves, then they're not confident that you can help them. 
um, I think, I think, I don't know if I'm giving you your answers, but that to me is uh, being accepting to others. My dad would always, as you know, my mom and dad always gave me advice. And one of them was, well, Pam, if they, if it's true what that person just told you to do, if it's just weigh it, if it's true, then you need to change it. If it's not true, then you need to make it so, you need to make what you do so much better than you are already doing it. So there's no question about it. And that's just what he would tell me. So me personally, I've, for the most part, I've, I've tried to approach things that way. And, uh, but basically trust is the number one thing. So the way I would get people to trust me as a coach is I would go in and help them. I would cut papers for them. I would clean their boards for them. I would do different things like that. I would sit in, I would listen to them and then, uh, and then kind of wait for them to ask me a question. And then I would let them know what I was available to do. And if they wanted me to do that, then I would let them. And then eventually by word of mouth, it kind of got where I could help a lot more people. That right there is the interesting piece. So when I showed up last year, uh-huh. so this year we actually have coaches that they built into uh, kind of the curriculum side, which has been super helpful, but we didn't have that last year. And I knew that we needed to grow in certain areas. And so I kind of took on the role as AP slash literacy coach ish academic coach, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I waited for my in, right? And so I yeah. found the teacher that was willing to ask questions. I was like, okay, sweet. This is the one. This is this is how mm-hmm. it starts. Um, and so I'm interested not in really talking about the coaching perspective of that, but the teacher that is willing to do that. Um, I think that is so – I think that separates good teachers from great teachers is someone that is able to say – is able to be confident in their practice, right? This has nothing to mm-hmm. do with like being – uh, insecure. I think a lot of people feel like they ask questions. It shows your inexperience, but in in my experience, some of the best educators ask the most questions. Yeah. They're able to sit there and go, Mm -hmm. you know what? Maybe there is a new way to teach, you know, kids how to not make sentence fragments. Maybe there is a new way to teach how to do a thesis statement, right? It's the people that are stuck in their ways and stuck in this is how we do things or stuck in, well, I saw it done this way 10 years ago, so I'm still doing it that way. Those people aren't coachable anymore because they're not interested in in the change or or just accepting the fact that the world is really big and you might not have been told the right information the first go around. Right. And I think that is... Uh, that's an undervalued skill. Um, and it's something that I try to look for when I, like I hire people, for instance, is I look for people who speak about like when they change their mind. Like I talk a lot about like asking people like, you know, do you ever feel like it's okay to give a kid a zero in the grade book? Cause I don't care what your answer is. I care what your thinking behind your answer is. It's almost the same thing as like, tell me the last time you changed your mind. And if it's like something, you know, it's not like a real mind change, but like I value people that are like, you know what? I assess new information. It was difficult, but I'm accepting the fact that this is where I'm at now. And it's time to move forward with the next thing. Like, I think that is an extremely undervalued skill, but that's what coachable people do. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean you accept everything your coach says, right? No, you have to weigh it. 
Well, and it's also the sense that like some of it is, I guess, contingent on the quality of coaching. Cause you have a coach that's just draconian or, uh, overbearing, then it's not, that's not real coaching. That's just someone serving as the, the left hand of the district, just telling right. you, well, this is what we do. That's not what a real coach does. But if you have a genuine real coach that's interested in your practices, what you care about as an educator, looking at how to grow you and your style, then being open to that, I think is, it's just infinitely valuable. Like I remember when I think I've told this story at least 30,000 times, but the first literacy coach I ever had, she sat with me and she said, Jacob, what do you want your English class to look like? And I said, I want kids to read and write. And she said, well, I've been watching you for, you know, off and on for a few days. Your kids aren't doing a lot of reading and writing. They're doing a lot of listening to you and a lot of worksheets. I said, huh? And she goes, so how do we fix that? And I said, I don't know. And she goes, here's some books, right? And she handed me Donald Miller and Kelly Gallagher. (laughs) It was like, but it was because I was open to just like, I didn't take it offensively. She asked me what I wanted. And then was nice. Exactly. Right. She asked me what I wanted and then approached me with that. Mm -hmm. And I've always wondered if I would have answered differently, like if that would have led me down a different path, but that the art of coaching, but it's the art of listening to coaches that I think that we don't that we don't address enough. So what's a, what's a good, like in your world, like who's been like a great mentor and why, like what, what was it that opened you up to just like being a quality mentee? It's okay. If you talk about me. Oh, okay. Well, you know, then there's this Jacob guy. Well, there was a thought. Let me, let me, if you don't mind, there's a thought I had and then I'll answer your question, but um, hopefully I don't forget your question. So mentor, mentee. Okay, I got that down. Um, but, you know, I referee volleyball, right? I'm a, I'm a volleyball official. And uh, they also have me train our officials. So when they want somebody who they think will learn, a lot of times they will send them to be my lines person in some of these really complicated games. So tonight was one of those. And so it's so cool because that, and I know that I know I'm talking about officials, but I think the principle is still the same. And it's that you mentioned that they have to be willing to learn. They have to whatever. Well, first of all, they my boss, if you will, for officiating has set me as a trainer. So when there's a question, my boss asks me the question. They all send me. In other words, I get a lot of questions about rules, a lot of questions about this. But anyway, this man tonight, he um he was one of my lines people at another game. And at that other game, there was a rule that people don't know very well. Coaches don't know it, but I know it. And I made the call and he comes over to me and he says at a break and he goes, what was that call that you just did? And why did you do that? So the first thing he did is he's watching me. They've told him, if you want to learn something, you need to watch her. So he comes over and they tell, they he told me this. So that's why I knew that's what they told him. And uh, so he's asking questions. So then I explained the rule to him and all of that. Well, then today I see him again because he's my person this time. And before the game, he goes, hey, I just have to tell you that that rule came up again. And I was able to help somebody else and explain it but I was the only one in the gym out of all the coaches and anybody that understood the rule I just want to tell you thank you and because of that I'm already better and so tonight I can't wait to see what I can learn and that was his attitude and so I think that's the attitude that to me that's 
that's the attitude that we want to have as teachers, as educators, or as principals, anybody who wants to learn. One of the things that I did, there was a teacher that I had. Now, your question was about mentor mentoring. So tell me, ask me that one more time if you remember it. So I can just right. what who was a, a mentor that uh like you it pulled out being a good mentee for? Like who like why were they a great mentor? What did they do that was different that like cracked you open and made you listen? Oh, okay. So um I've had so many good ones, it's hard to pick. It's kind of like my bands. There's a lot of them. But I think, first of all, one of the things that I did when I was younger, and I, I still, I, I don't do it as much anymore, but when I was younger, and that was, I would pick one person to be like, to emulate, and that's the person that I would do. Mm-hmm. And so I would, I would see when I got on, like at Richland High School, for example, when I worked there. Um, I was brand new. I was in my twenties. I always had this attitude. I did this as an athlete. I think it's my parents who directed me into this. And that was find somebody to be like, and then you make yourself better than them. You know, that that's your whole goal is you learn from them and then move to the next, you know, you just get yourself as good and not better if you can. And, uh, so I've always had that attitude. So when I was younger, um, there was this one teacher that had this great, great reputation. And I would pick her brain all the time. So how do you get the kids to do this? How do you get the kids to do that? And then I would, and, um, but she was a teacher. And then they actually sent her to the New Jersey Writing Project before me. And the reason they did that is because they knew that she would as an educator, as a mentor, would mentor other people and get them excited about it. And so sure enough, that happened. And then the next year I got to go. And so, um, and then as a trainer, when I got to go as a trainer, then you're looking at, you know, Dr. Carroll, we got to actually learn from Joyce Carroll and, 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 um, Armstrong and Eddie Wilson, and we actually learned at their feet. And when you are what, what she, she has forgotten more than I've ever learned. And that's the type of person she is. And her whole entire goal in life, I think is to make everybody better than herself. And there's nobody better than her. She is just a consummate educator. And, and she, she just is. And so I think she's probably a really good mentor for me, but that's kind of how I got in was by following this one teacher that led me to this whole program. And then inside that program, you're looking at, you know, I learned from Gretchen Barnaby. I learned, I mean, I said at these feet of the, all these people. So I don't know. Here's my next question. Uh huh. I think it's important for this conversation. Okay. Who was, you don't have to name them, obviously. Yeah, I don't want to name people other than Dr. Carroll. Mm -hmm. What was a, who was a mentor that completely made you a bad mentee? You were like, nope, this isn't working. I'm closed off. Was there anyone like that? I have a very specific one, but I'll let you speak first. 
You have a, spe- a specific one for me? No, I have a specific <laughs> one that like where I was like, I've been open to the vast majority of people who wanted to help me in education, but I have a very specific instance where that is not the case. I tell you what I've had. I've had people that I trusted, people that I really, really wanted to learn from only to discover that they were in it for themselves. And as fast as they could, they threw me under the bus. And I would sit in meetings and this one particular person that I'm thinking of, it was on the history side of things. And I really had a great admiration for this person. And I actually wanted to emulate this person up until I discovered that this person was more political than I thought, but I was young and I didn't understand politics. Does that make sense? I didn't understand the background of things. And apparently I'm apparently I made friends with the wrong person, so to speak. And that really upset this person that I really emulated. And the next thing I know, she turned against me. And when I say turned against me, turned out to be my department chair. And she would try to help me, but she would say things like, well, you know, it's difficult to, how did she wear it so long ago? But it was more like, well, you know, you're hard to help him because all you do is chase rabbits. Uh, in front of everybody, she would say, well, you know, some of us are from Venus and others are from Mars. And she'd be looking at me like I'm the one that was the weird one out. And she wanted to do, she did not like the workshop model. And so because she didn't like the workshop, you know, like, I, and I think she didn't like it because I supported it. Does that make sense? It's like she supported it up until whatever I did. I don't know what I did. I just ended up in a political situation. I ended up in several, but this, when I was younger, you don't really know about it. When I was older, I, I could actually pick the sides I wanted to be because I kind of knew who was who because I stayed in the same place a long time. But she did not have the same philosophy. And I think what happened is our the principal that we had at the time, not not bad people. These are not bad people. It's just I found myself in a political situation. But I think she was trying to please the principal because she thought the principal liked worksheets and handouts and the old way and everybody like she would criticize me for having my tables in groups rather than in rows. And so it was just like and then but she would insult me in front of other people. So that was, and and I don't think she really understood how much I really wanted to be like her. Does that make sense? So to me, that was one that made me go, okay, I do need to weigh what people tell me. And I do need to kind of see what their motivations are. Uh, so I think if if somebody has the wrong motivation as a person, I'm confident enough in myself and I'm confident enough in the in the research that backs the way I teach up enough that I can stand on my own. And, but back then when I was in my, that was probably in my late twenties, early thirties when all that happened. And so it was just kind of a, a weird time in my life. Yeah. I, so here's, I guess, a valid point for some of this, which is, I think there's the right coaches for the right people. Right. Like, I, I yeah. think that's the interesting thing about just being coached. It's the same thing about, I mean, just having a mentor and everything. Like, I think the this is a very interesting trait of just humanity uh, to a large degree, which is 
you know, you think of like to Socrates and the mentors and, you know, Plato and Aristotle and like, you know, the, mm. the lineage of things I think is really fascinating. That's I, I always love workshop because of like the lineage of like, you know, the people who, yeah. you know, did the research and how it got passed down and then how it got morphed into things and everything mm -hmm. else. I think that's the same, like when you're finding someone who connects to you, I think a lot of it is lightning in a bottle. But I also I think districts, this is where the, the principal side of me comes out a little bit is I'm starting to think like this more and more um, with the help of my mentors is it's no longer like I need to find my mentor. It's like, how do I create systems? How do I yeah. create an environment that breeds mentors for the right people? That is a really interesting question for a principal and for a leader is how do you create an environment to where does that does that mean everyone's going to be exactly the same? No, I don't. I, I've never wanted that. When I hire people, I specifically tell them, be you. I literally don't want to walk from this classroom to this classroom and see the exact same thing. I mean, roughly, right. maybe maybe the same lesson, same ideas, same concepts, but style never. I will never do that. I'm never going to betray that because I know what that felt like as a teacher. Yeah. Um, but my whole idea is, okay, so how do, how do I not only get the right people in the right positions, but how do I cultivate a culture to where they become the mentors that these other people need because I've created a system that is attracting these types of people? Because I think what happens when, when you get weak leaders in these positions is they just kind of hire to fill they don't really have a vision for the way a campus is, or they don't have a pulse on what the campus feels like. And so they try to either overpower it and put their spin on the whole campus, which I think makes a lot of people leave and it just creates a, a negative culture, which I've been a part of, mm -hmm. or they placate everyone and it becomes uh, a situation where every, all like the, the most, the stronger personalities just run everything. Oh yeah. They get entitled. And so the strongest the strongest principles I've known, the strongest leaders I've known, feel out the campus, feel out what the vibe is, figure out where the positivity is coming from, and then they lean into that and they empower the individuals that are creating that culture. So the principal that you and I worked for, one of the, 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 the version of the school where I invited you over and we all worked together, um, that principal, what she did is and she won't come on any podcast she's an amazing leader but I, she refuses to talk on a podcast but she what she did is she listened to us and she didn't always agree with what kind of i guess the campus leadership wanted necessarily but when like for instance for me we didn't always see completely eye to eye but she trusted me and the pulse that i had on the campus because i'd been there for so many years but i also had results and i wasn't coming from a place of negativity and I was coming from a place of when I misstepped, you could coach me. And so mm -hmm. what she did is she helped me facilitate positivity, even when we had to do negative things, right? We've talked about how like a program was forced upon us and I wrote like a dissertation on why the program shouldn't be used. Um, but that's good leadership is because she knew I needed to do that. She knew I needed to feel creative. I need, but I, she also knew that I protected my teacher's uh, with an, with a, with a literally an iron shield. And I was like, you will not make their lives more miserable if I can help it. Um, mm -hmm. but because she was a good leader, she did that. And that made her a better coach because when she came to me and challenged me, what did I do? I listened 
because she mm-hmm. proved to me that she was going to defend my style, even though my style wasn't always completely aligned with hers. So she created a trust with you. Yeah, I, I, I guarantee you that. One hundred percent, she did. Number one. Well, and mm-hmm. I remember the funny thing was when she showed up. Mm-hmm. It was a shock to everyone because the principal before her was really laid back. He did the opposite, right? He let everyone just run the show. Yeah. So she shows up and she's like, we're not going to do that, but I will listen to you. Right. Yeah. I think that's what good leaders do. Leaders are leaders for a reason. I think this whole idea of there shouldn't be a hierarchy is, oh, I mean, it's, I don't think there's really any substantial evidence to show that that's useful, right? There has to be a hierarchy of something. Someone had, the buck has to stop with somebody. Hmm. And so what all this means to be a mentee is of course, find your people, find the coaches that help you. But, uh, I think you also, I think you all, you have to be willing to just accept things, right? Cause you might not know the coach that's best for you yet. If you're a first year, second year, third year, I mean, heck, I mean, all, <laughs> I mean, maybe all the way up, right. To 15, 20, you might not know that that person coming into your life as a coach is someone that you need. And so I think the number one way to be coachable is just to be like, Hey, you know what? I might not agree with what you're saying, but tell me why let's walk through this and let's kind of go through this process. And then I'll decide for myself as a professional educator, if your information is valid or not, right? If you're completely washing out my beliefs about literacy, if you're trying to get me to get rid of my beliefs about what it means to be an educator, then I'm probably not going to connect to you, um, which is fine. I don't think being a good mentee means just accepting whoever your coach is. I think that you have the right as a professional to say, you know what? I'm not really a fan of what you do. And that's why people leave schools and everything else. But I think the number one trait to be coachable is to just be open to the fact that you may not know everything. And I think sometimes that's difficult for some of us. I mean, I'm speaking from experience there because uh, I love to be smart. <laughs> and I right. love to, and I, everyone does. But I think that, yeah. like, for instance, like, I'll give one more story that I'm done. I've, I've been ranting for a while. I apologize. But I uh, there was an issue today, literally today, that I was in charge of. It kind of fell apart. But the buck stopped with me because I was the assistant principal over it. So my principal, she comes in, she closes the door. I was like, all right, well, I sit down. I grab my notepad, you know, and I know it's coming. <laughs> I know it's coming. It's fine. We, we have a good relationship. I think she's a great leader. I respect her a lot. I trust her judgment. But I listen and I, I hear the things I failed at. And I'm like, all right, I get it. I get it. But uh I had to, I had to humble myself because I could be defensive. I could be like, well, so-and-so didn't do this or this is why this happened. Right. I could bow up and be very combative, yeah, if, if, even as... even if not verbally, like in my head. Right. Mm-hmm. But because I'm willing to accept that I'm a second year assistant principal, I don't know everything. I have struggles with certain aspects that it means to be a good leader, a good principal, a good manager of a building. I open myself up to that because I'm like, I may not agree with every single word she says, and there may be valid reasons why something failed that weren't my fault. But at the end of the day, I have to sit there and listen to someone who has far more experience than me because they have been where I'm at and they're obviously giving me information that I need. And I think that Mm -hmm. is what makes a good mentee. That makes you coachable. Well, yeah, I think, I think number one, like you said, open up, 
being willing to open up, but, but really, don't you think that takes confidence? I mean, you have enough confidence in yourself that you're going to listen and do better the next time. But you know, a lot of people, or at least I've come across people that take everything so personal to the point that they don't ever improve. They just go, what was me? And then they just get worse and worse. And so, um, so I think, I think you're right. You have to be open-minded, but you have to have enough confidence to listen. And, and yeah, I, th- I, I agree with humility because you, you have to be, so, so it's kind of, um, I don't know. I mean, it seems like that's an oxymoron. You know, you're looking at humility and confidence at the same time, but you humble yourself. You have a spirit of humility towards the person who has the most experience towards the person who's trying to help you. And you look at as look at it as they're trying to help me. So therefore I'm going to listen. Right. And if it's your boss, they better be seeing the changes because they're also wanting to see if you are listening as well. So it'd be best that you humble yourself, but yet have enough confidence that you don't let it destroy you. Does that make sense? And that, and and then that goes back to where like my dad to coach me about being coachable was listen to what they have to say, weigh it. Is it true or is it not true? Like did like today you got talked to when you're sitting there getting talked to is what she said true or not true? It was true. And if it's, okay, so if it's true, it's your turn to fix it. So you got to listen on how to fix it, and you got to do exactly what they tell you. And then you say thank you that you like that man came to me. Thank you for showing me this yeah. because it made me better. What can I learn today? It's kindness for people that with more experience correct mm-hmm. you. Yes. It's kindness. It really is. Yeah. And so, you know, and then, like I said, my dad said, if it's not true, like you said, there are some things that were out of your control, then you just make sure those are no longer out of your control anymore and you get them under control, but you do better at what you're already good at. And I think a good, a good listener mentee does that. A good mentor though, helps develop that person by getting in there and showing them and modeling and, and working with them and being a servant leader, I think is really the best type of leader is that somebody who's willing to get their hands dirty with you is way better than somebody who's just shouting out orders. Well, and here's the thing. So I did, it's so funny because I have grown so much in a lot of aspects, but I'm, I'm weak in a lot, right? There's, I have, I have several years ahead of me of learning really how to manage. I mean, we have a school of 2,500 kids. There are so many nuances to that, right? There's so many aspects, uh, that there's a lot of teachers. There's a lot of programs. I mean, there it's, it is so much. And I'm thankful for the opportunity because, uh, I'm, I'm learning a lot. And it's funny because like my secretary, for instance, she's been doing this work for a long time. She keeps me in line. Um, we like they've told me this year they're like Chastain have you gotten this I'm like already done right like we did I've already done two t- two t-test observations everything's written up I'm ready for my stuff tomorrow that was not the case last year right we had to right. space it out and she's like oh it's already done and she's like oh you hear that paperwork done yep already done yeah this it yep already done right and so it's like I have I have that experience but now because I have that I'm being given more opportunities I'm giving more uh Mm-hmm. Uh, responsibility 
And it is this. It's funny because it's like to grow, you have to struggle. If you're if you're really trying to grow, you're going to fail. Right. You're going to stumble. But that's okay. And I think that what we fail at the most in schools is we don't allow stumbling to happen. Right. We expect perfection. And I think that I think there's a there's a reason for that. I don't think it's always because of bad leadership. I think the systems of public education uh, fail educators like that. I think the the over-reliance on standardized testing hurts educators. I think that's why a lot of educators leave because they don't have a chance to grow. But the the best campuses, the best leaders, the best coaches um, see the opportunity for growth and work for that no matter where you are. But the but there's also a piece of that. Like we talk about like you have to be a great leader, you have to be a great coach. You also have to be a great mentee. You have to be willing yeah. to swallow your pride and mm-hmm. accept when you mess up. You have to. Yep. You have to own it. Yeah. And you have to be able to like, I know it's hard. Like we've all, I talk to high school kids all the time. Like for instance, I had a kid who, so we have like this little foyer in our, in our high school, right? It's like this little area. We don't accept DoorDash orders. And so what we do is when kids get food dropped off, if their, their parents can bring them food, but the kid has to go out there and meet them or whatever. And so the parent goes there, he drops off the food because the lunch hadn't started for the student. And so he leaves it there, but the student like, I don't there was miscommunication or whatever. So the food's just sitting on this table. This other kid, who's a genuinely good kid, he stands there for 10 minutes. I know this because I watched cameras. Every 10 <laughs> minutes, and he sees the food, and he goes, yoink, and he takes it, right? Yeah. I happen to know both kids, so I set it up. And I call mom, I do all these things, and I say, this is what I'm going to do, mom. She goes, is he suspended? I was like, absolutely not. I was like, what he's going to do is he's going to pay her back. Because he has a job. I know he has a job. He's going to pay the money back. It's 10 bucks, right? Not even a lot. He's going to pay her back. And then I'm going to sit them down in a room and he's going to apologize to her to the face. And I was like, what you do at home is what you do at home. I'm not, I'm not his parent. I'm not whatever. I'm not suspended. I'm not giving him detention. I was like, the number one thing that's going to grow him is looking this person in the face and apologizing for what he did. Right. And that right there, though, that piece of accountability is what I think a lot of adults, we, we kind of we shrug that off a little bit. Right. We're like, oh, I went to college. I did all this. I don't have to grow that way. But no, look at what you're doing. Look at your results. Look at your test results. You're 15 percent behind everyone. Not there's because you're bad. Yeah. It's not because you're a bad <laughs> teacher. It's because there's no, something there's missing. Something. Exactly. I talked to a teacher today. We were talking about, she goes, we're going to use the review on the test. And I went on my whole rant about, please don't. I was like, you're going to skew your data. I was like, the test is an autopsy. It tells you how well your teaching was. I was like, it doesn't matter. You want cold facts. If everyone fails, you want to know that. You want to know if they take a cold test based on how you taught if they all failed, because what does that tell you? It doesn't tell you you're a bad teacher. It tells you there was gaps in your teaching. And now you can review them. Exactly. And that, <laughs> but that like good coaches know how to handle that piece because bad mm-hmm. coaches, what, what does a bad coach do? Well, why did they fail? What yeah, did what you are, not what do? Did you do? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. We've all had right? those conversations. We've all had that. Yeah. Anyway, well, that's I've all been... I got to say. Well, I, I know that the first time that I worked with you and, and our friend, what was it? That very first time my kids were like the 15, 
down. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I went home to my mom. You know, well, I don't live with my mom, but I, well, I, we were visiting. I eat lunch with them and dinner with them all the time. So anyway, I'm talking to my mom. And I said, this will never happen again. <laughs> it will never. And I, I rethought and I looked back at myself. So I think, too, to be a good mentee, you also have to be a re- reflective practitioner if you will and so i uh looked back over it figured out what what i'm going to do next time etc what i didn't do what are y'all doing and uh, i don't think it happened again i don't think i was ever that far no, back again you kept, you kept beating me i know i liked it <laughs> that's why i said it you ended up winning at the end i don't know but anyway it doesn't matter but the whole thing is, is that that's what I'm like, we're not doing this again. And in our meetings, I was like, what did y'all do? What were y'all doing? And so I started listening to what you guys were doing more. And I made sure that whatever y'all did, I made sure I did as well. Yeah. So those are some things I did because we didn't have a coach that actually came in because I think she was working with some other people at the time that needed they they really weren't worried about us. So we didn't really have any mentors. We had to mentor ourselves, if you will. So, so we were our own buddies. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Anyway. That's also when you're when you're open to coaching, you tend to seek out other things and you become good on your own. Well, and you know, another thing too is is one of the best things that ever happened to me was way back when when I took the took my New Jersey writing project and which is now Abydos. Uh but it when they made me, when they asked me to be a trainer and the district, you know, did all of that. And our uh, leader that we had, her name was uh, Miss Hibbs and she was actually the director. She did K. She, okay. We didn't have coordinators back then. They had gotten rid of them all, not coordinators, but um, consultants, whatever they are, the Uh, I guess they were coordinators for the different subjects. She was the director K through 12 and did all of it. All subjects K through 12. I don't think there's, I mean, she, when you're talking about who I learned from, she was wonderful, but she had high standards. And so she's the one who saw something in me and asked me if I would be a trainer and they spent quite a bit of money. But what I had to do was I had to read 30 books had to summarize all of those books but the books we were reading were nancy atwell donald graves lucy calkins peter elbow we were reading all of these these wonderful books and we had to summarize them and all of that and that's what turned me on to actually i can help myself as well by reading these books so a lot of my mentors if you will were the books that i was reading you're going through that so pretty cool and that's it for this episode ladies and gentlemen that is the craft and draft podcast good lord i don't even know what we talked about good luck ochoa writing the blurb for this we talked about coaching we talked about music we (laughs) talked about how to be minty mentor we talked about bad mentors about being a good minty it is what it is if you want to support this podcast if you like conversations that span things like this Look at this. We went for over an hour and had a great conversation. I know the people that listen to us, the people that love this podcast the most are the people that just want someone that feel a kindred spirit. So if you feel like a kindred spirit, support us on Patreon. You get bonus episodes that no one else has ever heard. Hours of content, bonus training, so much more. It's patreon.com slash craft and draft. You can find that link at craft and draft workshop.com. 
just like Alicia, Brandon, Leah, Mark, Amy, Sarah, Rebecca, Courtney, Carol, Melissa, Destiny, Lori, Natalie, Susan, Tracy, Andrea, Hannah, Lori, Jen, Matt, Amanda, and Donna all have good Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, it is late. It is time for us to go to sleep. Have a good night. I'm going to eat a burger, Miss Ochoa. Oh, well, I've already had fun. I know. But have a good night and know that we are here. For you. <laughs> <laughs>